0: Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creators. I'm Dave Using, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, I am very excited to be joined by the author of many of my favorite comics. He has two entries inside my top 100 favorite comics of all time. He's the writer of Undiscovered Country, American Vampire, Batman, and now with Best Jacket Press available initially exclusively through Comicsology Originals, we have the likes of We Have Demons, Noctera, Clear, Night of the Ghoul. And not available yet, but a whole bunch of books coming, like Barnstormers, Dudley Datson, and the Forever Machine. Some exciting stuff. It's Scott Snyder. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. I appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm excited to talk because so we're recording this in the window where pre-orders are open for the first print issue of We Have Demons. Um, you have three issues out with with uh, you know your longtime collaborator on Batman, Greg uh, Capullo. You have inks by Jonathan Glapion, Dave McCaig. Letters by Tom Napoli napolitano um just for people who don't know about the story we have demons right it's a war between angels and demons it's the story of a young woman's complicated relationship with her father it stars um an amazing good demon that looks a ton like greg mm-hmm. from what i've seen in interviews which i found very funny uh, that he likes it has kind of the self-insert there which he denies. but yeah
1: which he, <laughs> right, like, vehemently denies looks anything like him while it's like his twin
0: that's amazing that's amazing um, so this is available through Comixology Originals right now, to this point digitally. Uh, but it's coming to print. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about sort of what the the strategy is there for you in terms of sort of breaking barriers between digital exclusive and in print. And then also like what are you doing with Best Jacket Press to make sure that the print releases stand out um and are different from what people get digitally?
1: That's great, man. I'm I'm that's that's like the honestly right at the core of the whole project. So Um, I'm happy to talk about it the uh, the the idea with with sort of the whole the whole kind of comprehensive deal we did with both comiXology and Dark Horse with Best Jacket was um, it happened like right right around the time when the pandemic was beginning and I had different plans for different books based on what the creators wanted to do a couple of them we had talked about possibly kickstarting special editions to fund the rest of the books um, like we had done with Noctera. Uh, a couple of them um, we talked about doing digital first. A couple we were just going to do as trade. Um, and they were kind of all over the place. And um, when the pandemic hit, everything obviously contracted tremendously. And and what happened was all of us sort of, I gave everybody a choice where I was like, look, I understand. Everybody here has offers from Marvel, DC, boom, other places that are licensed work. To write and draw, uh, you know, um, other books that are uh, with more security. Um, if you stay over here with me, the goal would be, and we keep working on these books, which I want to do, and I have those offers too. You know, right away, Marie at DC was like, "Do you want to come back?" Um, and Marvel was very kind about extending a hand, and I and I love those places. But I had been planning for ten years on kind of taking time to make my own stuff when I was done with Death Metal and about a decade of licensed stuff, and so. I said to them, um, every creator from Greg, Francis, Francesco, you know, Lisa, I mean, Tula Lote uh, down the line to Rafa, what do you guys want to do? And f- fantastically, all of them said they wanted to stay. And I think the pandemic made everybody involved also really reevaluate what they wanted on the other side of this thing. So then the priority became, well, how do we do this in a way that's going to give them a good rate? make sure that they have security during these difficult times. But on top of that, do it in a way that we think will help the comic industry in the long run. Um, Like in a way that isn't just kind of take the money and run sort of a thing. Um, And that doesn't burden, doesn't burden fans. So ultimately what I, what I started to realize was that like having all these books come out the way we had planned, which was almost every month, one book in the market, whether it was digital or print, for the same amount of money, for you know, four ninety nine, three ninety nine each was a lot to ask of customers at a time when things were really rough, and maybe it was short sighted and selfish in general to kind of be like, "Here's everything you you have to pay all this money." Um, and my my buddy Will Dennis, who was editing all the books, was like, "You know, I heard Comicsology um, is penning a deal with Dark Horse. It wasn't finalized yet um, yeah. about." Uh, having a digital and print bridge, and so I was like, "Let me talk to them." And, and so when I spoke to Chip at Comixology, who's like a deep, deep comic guy. I mean, he's he you know worked at comic companies, worked at comic stores. They fund you know artist alleys all over the place. They're real comic folk at Comicsology, at least. Um,
0: I was like, so "Is Chip uh, Chip, Mosher, Chip Mosher?" Yeah,
1: exactly. He was like, "Yeah, the whole goal is to show the ways in which we can work together, and we're not competitive." And that got me really excited. So the idea was to do. something that would kind of, uh, that would promote subscription to comiXology unlimited where when I, I use it all the time and I know that there've been some frustrating, uh, some frustrations with the update now with the merging of Amazon. All I can say is that I know from talking to chip and the people at comiXology itself, how much they care about their customer base and their fans and how like committed they are to fixing those things. So yeah, I would just say, like, believe me, they're not people that are like, well, the reading experience isn't perfect and people can figure it out. They're all about giving you, you know, they want to be uh, the place that you go for comics. And they everyone there is is a serious, like, you know, lifelong comic person. So anyway, but the idea was to give people an option to subscribe for the price of like one comic a month and then be able to read all of these cool books that we're making, all eight, as they come out for that, for that low price and to, you know, give them an incredible offer in that regard. But then say, you know what, the way that we would help retailers is that people would get excited about the books by borrowing them digitally, you know, and then we'd have them come out in print in formats that help the direct market on the books that, that worked in the direct market the right way, um, single issues and other ones that would work better as trade. We do them as trade. So the whole idea was to say, how do we, do something that will help the comic industry, sort of recognize or lean into the the synergy and the synthesis between digital and print. My kids, um, and if anyone's like, if we do this video, I'm in my ten year old's room because um, <laughs> because my studio out across the lawn. It, I haven't used it during the break that they're on because it's cold and.
0: And I, I don't have the giraffe, but otherwise the 10-year-old's room looks a lot like mine. Right? <laughs> the background yeah, you showed me the shelf.
1: He's, like, he's also like insanely like into marble stuff, so he's got Logan, and he's got all these like marble things over there. I don't know if oh, you've yeah. these comics, but he's got this Voltron. It looks a lot like my room too, I guess. But it's also <laughs> like... Anyway, the, the point is um, my kids generally consume entertainment that way. You know, whether it's anime or or manga, or it's books. I mean, they listen on Audible. They read digitally. And those are all subscription you know, based services. Uh, and what they do is the stuff that they love, they go and they collect at their comic store, at their bookstore. So a lot of this, they the box sets, they have things that are you know special editions and that. And I genuinely believe that some version of that is a big part of the future of comics. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it doesn't mean that we're not going to have an even stronger direct market. I just think that forcing the direct market. Sorry if this is too like businessy for for people. No, this is good. This is what I'm getting at. Yeah. I really believe this like on my kids, like on my love for my kids that when I was at DC there was a real there was a real feeling for a long time that that digital had to be like kept at bay, but but sort of also humored and 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 sort of it was always this compromise where it was like, you know, digital has to be the same exact content as print same price and the same day and date release, because otherwise they're going to, it's going to take over print. Mm-hmm. The problem with that model is that you're forcing them into a competitive position. And a lot of people who don't have stores or who just prefer the convenience of reading digitally will read digitally at the expense of print. If you make it the same price and you make it, um, you know, you, you put them as diametrically opposed. If you say hey, guess what? For the price of one comic, you can browse thousands and thousands of comics that are Marvel DC image, which you can on Comixology Unlimited because they have like 40,000 titles there from like The Dark Knight Returns to Year One to Saga to all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, you ha- A, you fall in love with the, the, the medium. You browse it at your leisure, the way you do when you have subscription to Netflix or any of that stuff. You then, you decide what you want to go buy The merchandise, you know, of those shows, like for things like Netflix or the box sets for your whatever. Here with comics, you go buy the comics. You buy, especially if the print has something new. Mm -hmm. That was the idea here. It was to allow you to kind of buy things or browse all of our books. And to be totally honest, like I'd probably make more money in the long run telling you to buy each one single issue. I believe in what we're doing with the idea of doing it subscription based. So, it's a
0: it's a better value doing the the 5.99 subscription, right? And Reading all of them right. rather than than buying single issue by far, yeah.
1: Yeah, like so you're
0: paying for one
1: issue a month, but right now, right now you could literally pay 5.99 and read Demons, we have Demons 1 2 3, Clear 1 2 3 4, Ghoul 1 2 3 4 and a few months from now, you'll have those three series all, you know, finished their first arcs. And you also have Barnstormers and Canary, and all of that's for the price for $5.99 once. Like, you could read all of that for five ninety nine. dollars mm-hmm. so My goal is to be able to say to you, come take advantage of us. Read all those books for that. And then when it comes to print, these books are all coming out from Dark Horse in different formats. So we have Demons. The initial orders are high enough that it supports the idea that we'll probably do single issues with more of them, with Clear and with... with um, Night of the Ghoul. And those are also direct market friendly books. Some of the other ones like Barnstormers, which is, is more experimental, but um, one of my favorite things I've ever done, you know, it's less, it's less of a direct market book in the way that it's structured. It might be more of like a three part kind of book. Okay. I mean, it's told in three parts, but it's like the parts would be bigger than any single issue. So like, for example, when we get there, we see what people want, we'll do kind of a poll. And if people want a trade as opposed to that, and retailers especially want to trade as opposed to that, or if they want the three issues and think that they'll do well in their stores, we'll do that. So the fun of it is being able to create things that actually work in their spaces to support the other space too. So right now, like with We Have Demons, for example, we're not releasing it as the same content that came out um, digitally. It has all this extra stuff. It's got the whole script. It's got all the designs. Right. There are um, a bunch of amazing variant covers, also. So we have variant covers by everybody that's involved in Best Jacket and doing a book with us. So we have, you know, Tony Daniel and ex- a cover, obviously by Greg Capulo, and then another cover by Greg coming later. We have today, just today, we're announcing um, a special Peach Momoko cover that is going to be signed by me and Greg. Um, and you get it, if you order 50 issues for your store, you get one of them and they're signed. Um, so it's, you know, special deal we're doing. We're going to sign tons of these, these issues. Um, you have a Tony Daniel cover, a Francis Manipal cover, a Francesco Francavilla cover. You have Midtown Comics doing a, a, a special variant you have. And I'm going to go to, to sign for the release of it. I'm signing their stock. They have a Tula Lotte cover, uh, Jamal Eigel cover, Dan Panosian cover, Jock cover, and Raphael Albuquerque
0: cover. <laughs> so you've got like, if it wasn't clear, you have a ridiculously awesome uh, gallery of artists working with you on Best I know, <laughs> I know, I'm
1: a murderer's row. So yeah. the the whole idea though is that's the kind of stuff that to me is the 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 way the way that we can kind of help digital and print work together. So the digital is really. Um, it comes out six months earlier. You got you have all this time to read it. It's cheap. It's immersive. It's fun. And then when you want to buy it, if you're a print waiter or if you're somebody that loved it, you can get the print. And the print is beautiful. I mean, each issue is 40-plus pages. You know, it's a gorgeous book. Dark Horse does a great job with that. And you have all these variant covers to support retailers, to support fans that want like speculating, all that stuff, you know. It's that's that's why I did the whole thing at Best Jacket this way was and, and to be super clear too like I went to every creator and said, "Do you want to do this? If you don't, we can peel the book off and do it however you want. We can do it at Image, we can do it at um, Dark Horse proper, we can do it um, Panel Syndicate, like whatever it is you want to do, I'm happy to yeah. do." So, but everybody liked the idea, so we did it this way, and um, yeah, it's been working out great. I mean, we're they pay a great rate to the artists and um, mm-hmm. you know, we own all the ancillary rights so that we're able to go out with it for TV and film and um, all that stuff ourselves. And they have no claim over it. And it's just been, it's been fan- It's been the best year, you know, plus of my life, like working nice. on it creatively because don't get me wrong. Like there, I love working on Batman and on metal and that stuff. There's no greater joy, but this except for being able to make your own stuff, with your friends and have no creative limitations and none of the grind or the pressure the same way. So, you know, I, I love it. I mean, I still talk to everybody at DC. I just talked to Marie and Andrew this week and talking to Marie again next week. And I love them, you know, and I'd love to come back sometime, but being able to do this, this way is really like, it is a dream come true, you know, being able to, do well doing your stuff your way with your friends in a way that you believe in.
0: Yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, it's it's definitely, I think, one of the most interesting things about what you're doing with Best Jacket. I think the wave of Substack um, creators, obviously, which you're involved in, there's kind of this moment right now of creator empowerment, you know, of, of being able to create your own stories that you want to get paid a reasonable, if not good rate to do so. And and then retaining the rights is obviously such a big thing um, that that obviously you don't get with that license material, which which definitely has been interesting. I there's there's this similar moment in uh, in NBA. I don't know if you're a basketball fan, but they call it like the player empowerment era, where it's like players are taking ownership and leverage in terms of where they play, who they play with. Um, again, it's just kind of that thing of like, yeah, the the power, the rights coming to the the creators or the players or the actionable you know individuals in this you're literally making your own publishing house essentially, right? Your own imprint. Yeah. Um, what do you think it is about this moment? Uh, is it, is it so, is so much of it, the pandemic, was it kind of just like it's in the water? Cause it's not just you, right? You got, you got James Tynion who I know you're close with. You got Jonathan Hickman over Substack. There's a lot of creators doing this. Um, what, what do you think it is about right now that kind of is making this change in comics? That's a great question too. I, I think it's,
1: a, I think it, the pandemic sort of exacerbated what was already happening by a lot. Yeah. Like it was tremendous catalyst but i think a lot of us um are feeling the same things people are feeling across the media industry like i'm lucky enough right now to be able to i've been working on the potential um witches tv show yeah and um yeah so we'll know in a couple months if it gets greenlit i'm really cool. excited yeah but in that sphere and in comics and i have a lot of friends in books it's really similar where what's happening is these companies are gobbled up by bigger companies and bigger companies and and the Marvel in DC and places that you work for licensed work. And it becomes less and less secure. When I started at DC, it was just DC. And then it was bought by Warner brothers, like my first year right. in, um, and then Warner brothers was bought by, uh, AT and T and then they sold it recently to discovery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like you're riding on the backs of these megalodons in the ocean and you don't know what they're going to do. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean that there isn't wonderful opportunity and security in working for things like Star Wars or Disney, but there's also a tremendous amount of volatility that wasn't there before. And, a, and, a, and for example, you see it like in television. Here's, here's the way it has, it has been according to the people that I've met in the writer's room. Cause I'm not, I'm not leaving comics for TV at all. Like I just lucked out in terms of this one job. Okay. I didn't even, I was only supposed to consult for two weeks and then I wound up, I wound up becoming the showrunner of the room, um, which has been amazing. <laughs> awesome, but, yeah. uh, I know, but that's why I'm like, literally like a bu- look like a bum. Cause it's been like two jobs.
0: But Sounds busy. Yeah, it is.
1: But it's the, again, the best kind of work. You're working on your own stuff with people that you really like the but like talking to writers, like the climate right now in TV is there's there's all of this work that wasn't there before because of streaming. So there's more shows happening right and left. Mm. But the shows are shorter run. They're six to ten episodes. And they're less definite in terms of their consistency. They might be one season and then never come back. Yeah. Or they might not get picked up. Or there's much more churn and um, uncertainty in that world and and that's similar i think to every market like to comics you know there might not th- there's a bigger demand for ip so companies like boom intellectual property so boom vault everyone is kind of you know if not growing then sort of figuring out ways of putting out significant amounts of content right. um idw with their new originals program Comicsology, you know Everybody wants content, but the issue is working for, um, you know, on licensed stuff like GI Joe or those, they have more and more owners and it becomes more and more difficult to have any kind of long-term plans. You know, that's, that's what it was. Like when I was there, they, I was really lucky. I walked in and they gave me, you know, a year commitment on detective comics, Mm -hmm. a year commitment on Batman. And, you know, they don't do that. Like there, there's no. I don't. I mean, I know now. Like, I mean, they—they're not allowed to. It's not that Marie wouldn't. They don't really give like a year of commitment. Okay. They—they, they, you know, so you could do six issues, and if it's not working, you could go. The other problem, similarly, like they're more interests, you know. So like, they—they they might have more directives because they're owned by companies now that that have other plans for those characters. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you know Marvel is doing a Spider-Man movie, then. You might have a lot of directives on Spider-Man and because Disney didn't own Marvel when he started, it was freer. Similarly at DC, there's a lot of things that they want you to do to promote certain characters in certain ways. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's more and more these days. I think it's more and more um, difficult to have long-term creative freedom on licensed stuff. It doesn't mean that people don't do it. And there are fantastic editors that carve out those spaces because you see it right and left. I think what a lot of my friends in licensed work right now are able to do, Donnie and Ryan at Marvel and Dan Slott and over at DC, you see, you know, Tom Taylor and just killing it. with Bruno on Nightwing and, and um, Josh Williamson on Batman. I mean, there is a level of sort of, they're carving out spaces for people to do things, but the general atmosphere, if you talk to people, is that there's less, there's just less oxygen to be able to make big overarching long-term plans without a lot of consultation. Mm. So I think there's that like happening. And then I think the pandemic really like ratcheted everything up where it made us all be like, Jesus, like the, the comic industry is really, you know, really fragile in a lot of ways. And there are things that yeah. have problems with it systemically like for me, like the digital and print competition. So it was like, how do we do things that are exciting for us without feeling like we're going back to the grind on the other side of this thing? But also, how do we try and strengthen the comic industry or do things that we believe are healthy for it and point away at least one of many ways forward that we believe in? Yeah. So I think a lot of people had those priorities. And I think the demand or the thing like, you know, Substack making comics, Tapas, like, all these places wanting comics all of a sudden or approaching comics with, with corporate money is because the, the streaming wars, you know, because there's so much more room to make shows. Like when I was growing up, you know, and I'm sure it's the same for people, a lot of people listening to this of a certain age, you had like your, your few kind of gold star shows that were like Thursday night from eight to 10, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And a lot of the daytime programming was whatever. It was like, you know, game shows and yada yada and soap operas and whatever. Yeah. But there's this cable recedes more and more and more and more people use streaming services. They're not looking for filler content. All they want is, you know, a show to binge, another show to binge, another show to binge, another show to binge. And those the quality has gone up a tremendous amount in terms of television and movies in that regard. But the problem is... Um, well, the good thing is, I guess for us, that creates huge demand for more and more intellectual property, more and more um, walking deads and, mm-hmm. and sweet tooths and why the last man's and all that stuff. So all these companies, right and left, are more eager to do indie, um, indie work with you. So there's more opportunity, but, you know, it depends on what you want. A lot of companies take half your rights or take all your rights, mm-hmm. or take the rights and revert them to you. So it's really like the Wild West right now is the best way I can describe it to people. And there's all this these companies like Substack and Places Coming offering good paydays for you to make content. And sometimes it's be, they don't want the, to, to put claims on the content. That's the best thing with like Comixology and them. whatever, you own your content. Yeah. But the benefit for them is like you're making the stuff there. So people come there to see it. People understand you're doing it there first they get the first bite of the apple by coming to the, to this platform first. So, yeah. So I think that's to give you the longest answer in history. <laughs> that's, kind of like, that's sort of the, like a more prismatic look at it from, you know, why I think, why I think so many creators are both kind of deciding to do this and why there's more opportunity to do it than there was before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. And I mean, just from like a fan perspective, you know, I think one thing, the longer you read comics and you, you study the medium and the history and all that you know you realize like it's a good thing if creators have more rights like mm-hmm. comics historically has not empowered creators in the the appropriate ways so i mean these these types of movements i think whether it's comiXology originals um whether it's substack whatever like purely on the basis of getting creators paid and and allowing them to retain the rights to their work like that's huge that's a huge win historically for the medium um, so it's exciting to see, and I think what's what's been cool about Best Jack press and the stuff you're doing is again, that figuring out the synergy between digital and print, right? Waking up to the reality of this moment, which is, as you've you've elucidated here, like they are not competition, right? Like comics readers come in and they want to engage with the medium in different ways. Um, and they, these things do not need to be at war with each other. Uh, I want to go back to you mentioned um you're working on The Witches TV show. Uh, is that, um, so you're, you're show running, you're, you're writing, you know, you're the, the head writer and working on this thing. Um, does that, I, I saw a knock production with Netflix. Is this a Netflix thing? Is it uh, TBD with a home? Uh, what's the, no, for? it's,
1: I'm not, I'm technically it's, it's like, it's a, it's another, it's another big place, but I'm not allowed to say it okay. yet for some they They like to wait until it gets greenlit to talk about. So hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll know if it's, We'll definitely know, but I mean, hopefully, it will get greenlit, and then we'll be able to make a whole big celebration about it and that stuff. Um, I love the what we've done so far, but yeah, those are there. You know, undiscovered countries and new republic, um, which we just handed in the, yesterday. our rewrite right mm. of the draft? So I'm really relieved and
0: excited about. That.
1: Are you and Are you and
0: Charles writing like the the TV pitch for that? Essentially, we did. It's a movie. Yeah, we
1: did. We wrote we wrote the we wrote the, the screenplay together, which was a blast. That's the thing that I'd encourage people to to keep in mind is like if you're a creator it's great to work licensed stuff. I mean it's security in a lot of ways, not like I was saying the, the larger aspects of security aren't as strong as they used to be. But if you're working at DC and Marvel, it is like a paycheck you know you're going to get and you know and you get to work on these characters that are just your dream characters. So mm-hmm. it's it's but I love that job, so I'm not knocking it. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I want to make people aware that are creators of how many more options there are these days than there were before about making your stuff and owning your stuff, at least partially, at a moment when so many places want your stuff, Um, you know, and you can, the way it works with an option is that if your work is option, it's usually like a three-year option, something like that, 18 months with like, you know, the option to automatically re-up it if they want. But, you know, whatever money, it's not like you're making millions of dollars from that, but you're making tens of thousands of dollars from that. And then the benefit is, like, if you have enough things, like I was talking to Lemire, who's one of my close friends, Mm -hmm. five years ago, six years ago, when he started to really break off to do more indie stuff. And I was still pretty entrenched at DC um, and happy there. But he was like, this is my goal. My goal is to have 10 or 11 things that I love that I think are my best work out in the world so that if they are options, when that option comes up in three years, it comes back to you and you can go back out with it. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that you create almost like a loop of financial stability because with 10 things out in the world that you like, like I have four right now, you know, four out there and like after death, after death, just got the option, just got renewed. And it's not tons of money, but it's, it's a nice amount of little bit of money, like for each of us, like 10, 15, 20,000 sure. dollars, which is fantastic. You know it's a lot of money. And that, that's one property, you know, going around the loop hmm. once. So the, the idea is, you know what I'm saying? So if you have 10 properties out in the world that are optioned or getting optioned, you know rhythmically, because they're strong. Or getting made. I mean, if they get made, you make 10 times the option or eight times the option. Yeah. You know, That's when you get a real big payday. But so the goal for a creator like Jeff you know, and like me now is to have enough things out in the world that you have these streams of income from those things that you love that you made
0: perpetually right. or at least as long as people are interested in them. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, I think, strategically and, and business-wise. Um, do you, with that in mind, do you find yourself writing with the option writing with the pitch in the 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 you know the tv or movie pickup in the back of your mind more than you used to you know like like maybe with american vampire i don't know how much of that how much was that even on your radar versus now with we have demons where you're like listen i'm gonna make the best comic i want to make like i'm not really questioning the integrity of like the comic right but it's more like but yeah if if hbo wants to pick this up I'd love that. (laughs) Right. Like how much more is that on your radar?
1: It's not, it's not really more. I mean, I've always, I think it's pretty obvious, like from my first things to now, I've always been a high concept guy, you know, when it comes to the way that I did Batman and the way that I do my own stuff, like American vampire, you know, the reason that it was attractive to DC was even back then was because of the IP. Like, so it, that they were like, we can make this a show. And it was at the moment when they were picked up by Warner Brothers, yeah. you know, that they were thinking that. So I've never been a writer who I think, like there are other people who I love, like like for a long time, Tynan, for example, was a perfect example of one who just tended to write much longer, less vaulted arc, kind of immersive series like The Woods and stuff like that. Yeah. And his runs on Red Hood and the stuff that he started, like Batman Eternal, less adaptable, more kind of immersive Mm. Uh, dc always criticized me dan was always picking on me for doing an arc that began and ended, began and Mm. i mean when you look at our run every arc is named right it's court of owls black mirror death of the family endgame super heavy
0: you know what i mean death metal and pretty confined right you can pick up that trade
1: yeah and even american vampire which is probably the least like that is extremely like that Mm -hmm. it's tvc it's it's
0: one, it's every
1: everyone is a decade, mm-hmm, right? <laughs> every every arc is a decade, you know. Like so, I just write that way. Like it's always been, it's just always been who I am. I'm pretty Spielbergian and like summer blockbustery. Those are the things I love. I love watching with my kids. Yeah, Terminator Two, Aliens. You know, like those kinds of movies, like those kinds of books. Those are the things that have always gotten me going. The the sweet spot between personal literary, like, and, you know, experimental, and blockbuster. Those are the th- like, Dark Knight Returns, like, those are the things I love, like, so I'm not more aware of it, I think I'm more aware of the need to protect it that way, mm. like, you know, with American Vampire, I would not change my decision going back at all, I'm so happy that it it got my career going, but when I signed that deal, like, I signed away the rights forever, like, I never get those rights back, yeah. Um but, when I was able to do my last deal with DC for Death Metal, I was able to get them back. Huh. Yeah, so they're they're about to revert, like now. So I'm can't wait to go out with that one. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so the what I'm trying to say is, I've always been aware of that kind of storytelling, but you know, I don't think about it like how do I make this a movie or TV thing Any more than I used to. I, I really don't. Like in some of the books coming out, you'll see or less. Like I said, like Barnstormers, you know, Book of Evil, they're totally adaptable. Like they're, but they're, they're not like, oh, this is, they're not as as easily defined elevator pitch type books. Yeah. More um, off the beaten path in creepy, fun ways and in a romantic ways. So yeah, it's, it's the whole thing, you know? I mean, like After Death is probably the least commercial book I ever did, like with Jeff it was totally intensely personal and intensely uncommercial and in that it was prose and spot illustrations and yeah, and that got picked up by Sony like right when we did it you know it's never been something that i felt the need to think about just because i i tend to write that way i guess in general but even when i haven't written that way we've been lucky in terms of being able to get things picked up. And at this point in my career, I'm well known enough that there's more of a demand. So yeah, yeah. it's almost the opposite. Honestly, Dave is like, I haven't, I don't feel the need to keep that in mind because I feel like I've created enough of a library that people are interested. So it's, I feel a lot more freedom. So even though a lot of these books, like I think some of the, some of the reason like you might read, we have demons and be like, wow, this has a high concept or clear is because I only get these guys you know, for one arc at a time where it's like, this is our dream book. What do you want to do? And it's a book we've been talking about forever and we want to like do it. So it has that whole kind of sculpted quality where it's like, this is the book that we've talked about when we've hung out together at cons and when you've, we've visited each other at our houses and that. So every one of those books, just to be clear, none of them are concepts that I pitched to the creators. They're all concepts that we came up with together pretty much. So like with demons, I went to Greg and I'm like, after we're done with death metal, I, I'm begging you, we have to do a creator on, please. Like I, I'm so tired of the grind together because Greg, like Greg, kills himself on these books, like all the time. Yeah, no matter how much extra time he has, he always like wears himself down just going over and over and over. And when you have a very high pressure environment like we did on Batman and Metal, where like all these other books depend on it it's so, it's really hard. And then, so I was like, I just want to do something with you that we can have fun. You don't feel that pressure. And so we started talking and he threw a couple ideas, which I want to do one of them really badly. Next. Um, I threw him a couple ideas and he loved demons. I was like, it's got a demon with a big sword and like, uh, you know, and he's like, I'm in, that's it. <laughs> and they curse a lot. I was like, you know, and he was like, I love it. Let's do it. Yeah, so um, with Francis, Francis came and visited me and my family, with his family, with his daughter and wife a few years ago. And um, he was I was like, what do you want to do together after we're done? And he's like, I want to do something that's like about what the world our kids face. Hmm. So I was like, well, let's talk about it. Like, what's your big fears, you know? And I was like, well, our fears are the fact that one fear is that they just get everything they like sort of thrown back at them all the time, more and more of the same, more of the same, all the algorithmic kind of, you know, search engines, all of it, Mm -hmm. everything. It's like, oh, you like that? Here's more of it. And doesn't challenge them, well, let's create a world, sci-fi world together that's built on that, That where you can choose whatever you want to see and nothing else. So that's where Clear came from. And, you know, so they're all organic books built from the, the thing. up. None of them are, like, back pocket things. that are like, this would make a good movie. They're all like...
0: Sure, right. You, know?
1: you can tell reading them, I hope. Like, Francesco and I, that comes from both of us loving classic horror movies and challenging each other during the pandemic and before, like, how would we do a classic horror movie, a new, a new version of a a new classic horror monster? How would you make one today? Hmm. So,
0: yeah. 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 I love that book. Night of the ghoul with uh, Francesco Frankavilla. That's, that's probably my, my favorite of the, of the bunch right now. Um, I'm I'm such a fan. Yeah. It's such a good book. Um, So going back to kind of then that strategy of, so we have demons is, is coming out as a print periodical, right. And there's plans for a trade this summer. Um, Are the plans for, Night of the Ghoul and Clear to do the same? Are you going to kind of play this one by year and see what happens? What's what's the plan for the rest of these books that are coming out? Well,
1: we just got the initial numbers on um, We Have Demons, and they're strong enough that it looks like we, we probably will be doing more than just trades with the other ones too, which is hugely exciting. So we'll see. It really is a case-by-case basis, so the best I can say is we'll see. It depends on what the creators... Like, literally the data on the initial orders came in Friday of last yeah. Um, sure. So it's, we're three days into them being like, wow, this went really well. Let's do you guys want to do it? So I don't want to speak for the creators. I want to go back to them and say, I haven't, I literally haven't even gone back to them, Francis and Francesco, and been like, guess what? They, they're they thinking about doing this. Do you want to? But yeah. um, the guess is that we will and that they'll want to and we'll do the, the same kind of a thing in some format. So yeah, the, the whole goal is that they will come out in print, they will come out in dark for a dark horse, and they will be a different package than what came out digitally.
0: Yeah, so I, I'm sure this is going to vary by, you know, the the collaborator and your co-creator on these projects. But, you know, so with We Have Demons, there's three issues, right? And you just talked about how a big part of the appeal here is, you know, you don't have to be tied to the Batman grind, right, of right, of release schedules. Given that, how how often do you kind of plan to return? Are you building in six-month breaks between arcs? Do you have kind of a cadence for that yet um, with these these different projects?
1: Yeah, we do. So, like, Francis and Francesco, we have... You have to imagine they need six months to like, you know, get ahead again. Yeah. And and to kind of clear the, the, um, plate. So with Greg, Greg, the one thing that Greg, I promised him after too, and that he, you know, really wants to do is he really, he, you can see him, he's posting it on social media, but he really, for years and years has wanted to finish the Creech yeah. like his race that he did before we started Batman. So he's doing that now. It's three huge, three big issues that's going to take him, you know, six months or so to do. Yeah, But the priority is to continue to do, we have demons, um, you know, and that might mean if it's creatures taking him longer doing a special issue where Greg and I write it together with somebody else doing um, a, an arc that Greg helps me with, with, and then have Greg come back. But we're committed to the series being a place that we can return to the way I do with American vampire, the way I did with, um, you know, things like that 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 allow me to come back Mm -hmm. you know i was gonna say witches but we haven't been able to come
0: back to witches because well yeah yeah, the one shot right or the the special
1: we did but the witch witches is the one that got away in the way that like both of us are like ah we should have we should have not taken such a big break but Mm. the big the the reason that we're not doing it right now is because doing the tv show jock's on it jock's doing the um um art concepts yeah Yeah. the whole goal is to like finish this have it if it's greenlit I mean there's no world in which we're not bringing it back right away I mean we'll bring it back either way right away but I mean you can imagine with that news like the whole goal would be finally do the arc we've been we it's all like planned out he has the outline for it so it's like Uh we just like it was one of those things where we just got it was in a we were really lucky where like we were going to go back to witches and then I got the opportunity to do metal and I was like do you and then Met and he got the opportunity to do Star Wars and be costume concept designer on right. Last Jedi. And he was like, I have to do this and take my kid up to Star Wars land in Scotland. And I was like, "That's go for it. Yeah. And then we finished. And then they were like, do you want to do a, the Batman Who Laughs series? And I was like, oh, I still want to do that. That's like the one book that I would still do here before the sequel to metal. And then I'm like, it's because it's almost a sequel to the black mirror. I was like, Jock, what about this? And he's like, "Ah, it's the only thing I'd put, witches on old forest. All right. Yeah. (laughs) did that, And then he got the opportunity to do Batman while I'm doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was like, I've always wanted to do my own Batman story. I'm like, great, go do it. You know? So we have a lot of faith that the fans will still be there for witches. And we're, we're going to, we're definitely like, there's no world in which we're not bringing it back soon. Um, but yeah, with the if we can get this TV show across the hump, then you can bet you're going to see which is
0: OK, cool, cool. Fingers crossed. And I think a lot of fans will be pretty excited about uh, another volume there. Um, all right. So so looking at kind of you mentioned, you know, OK, we have Demon story. Probably going to continue here down the line. Obviously, it's set up to do that. Um, the experience with Best Jacket is is going well, uh, it seems like overall. But like one of the complications and you brought this up at the front is so there's these wild changes to comiXology this past week. Um, and this merger with the Amazon storefront, which is not a shock. They were purchased by Amazon in 2014, but obviously it was a lot. And it was a lot at once for, I think a lot of readers, especially the power users. Um, I guess my question for you is, were you given any heads up that these sort of changes were happening and kind of what would you, what's your reaction, I guess, broadly just to what's going on with, you know, what is now the home, the digital home of, of all these good projects you got out there?
1: Yeah. Um no i I was definitely not uh i mean I was definitely given heads up that the interface was coming that was a little bit before they announced it to everybody else, so I knew it was coming. I did not expect it to be so such a radical departure from what was there before yeah um and when it happened, it took me a day to almost like catch up and be like oh wow this is this is quite different
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know I was still using the old app, so i didn't I'm just lazy it didn't even you know like occur to me to to update it yet. Mm-hmm until it had to be and then I was like oh okay and so no I wasn't I wasn't aware ahead of time of like how big the changes would be but the truth of the matter is like if you told me how big they were going to be and we had to launch everything even like now I'd still do it yeah um, as my creator friends wanted to because a I have a lot of faith in the people at Comixology to fix it because again like I don't know Amazon who's the Amazon like I don't know Amazon, you know, but I know comiXology and yeah. I know they're, 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 I know them all really well. And they're, they're deep, deep comic people. And they're not, they're not going to be, I know they're not okay with a reading experience that people aren't happy with. So yeah. they're, they're going to work to correct everything. I think one thing without speaking out of turn, the chip mentioned at one point was that, you know, sometimes the way that Amazon wants to do things is to, 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 put something out and then, you know, fix it as it goes in that way. And I think that's what they're going to wind up doing here. Yeah. So I, you know, again, like I know Amazon, I don't know, I can't speak for Amazon. I assume from the people I know there from other projects that like that they're, they're highly committed to making it really, uh, impressive and and user-friendly. Um, but I know the people at Comixology are, and like, like I said, like, we have two bites of the apple and you know, I'm really excited to be doing what we're doing for many reasons, but also cause I believe in the bridge between digital and print. And I think comiXology is the, the real, the, 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 best place to read your comics digitally, you know, in that way too. So, yeah. So, and, and the other thing I'd say is like, they have this track record of doing stuff with creators that I think are really exciting and progressive, you know, from Mark Bernadine and, Ariella Cristentina, who I'm doing something with, you know, to Chris Sabella and uh, Kurt Pines and uh, Pyres. Uh, and so there's just a ton of, I think that there are people you can see from what they do that are committed to the comics community yeah. and to trying new things and being exciting. So yeah, it's, I think it's unfortunate that it needs to need some real work to, to get back to, to people's good graces, but I'm really confident that it will. And I I'm again, like we, we, I would sign up to do it again right now and even have the launch right now, even
0: if it really came down to it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's, I think probably you're right in the sense of like, they're going to, I anticipate they will fix this thing over time. I mean, it's like you said, like the one thing I've been saying to people is like, they have a 15 year track record of getting what comic fans want. Um, This is the exception to the rule, you know, on the comicsology side, right? Like, and it clearly, I think pretty clearly was out in the world before it was ready and I think that's frustrating to a lot of people, but I do anticipate that over the ensuing months it, it will be fixed. I guess, you know, the question is just uh, how long does it take and and how many challenges did they create through this merger? But, you know, it's, I agree, it's, you know, and yeah. I think a lot of that
1: is, is like, I'm figuring I'm seeing it too. firsthand, like seeing it as it happens. So yeah. again, like I, I think what you said is really, is really astute. I mean, they're, they're, they're comic folks before they're, you know, Amazon folks in that way. And I think that ultimately I have a lot of faith in them making something that's better than was there before. I know they care about it. So, yeah,
0: yeah. well, and it's, it, you know, the big thing that I keep telling people too is like, like for this project, for this interview, like I just read all your stuff. <laughs> so it's not like comics are not readable. Um, through this, you just kind of got to, got to figure out the changes. And it's, you know, with any technology upheaval, everyone's always mad you know, initially, oh, right. Just, just, with changes and having to adapt in general. So there's some of that. And then there's, and then there's some stuff that is like actually broken, but, but obviously it's got got a road to hoe in terms of getting it right. Um, yeah. But yeah. No, but like, you're not, you're not like, Oh, I'm going to delay the book with Tula because, you know, because of what's going on or anything like that. No, no,
1: not at all. And I, again, like, you know, our, I believe in the big project of what we're doing and I believe in comicsology overall, in A huge way, I, I this doesn't like ding my faith in them in the least, yeah. and I think it's unfortunate and it's a big challenge. I think they're real challenges to meet with this one, and uh, you know, that's I'm not minimizing those, but I it's the you know, it's that thing where it's like again, like I know the people internally and I know they're really committed to comics and to making comicsology a place people love to go to read them, so I'm not worried in that regard, and and also. Like, we're all getting to do the books that we love creatively free for really good rates. And then we own the rights. And then they come out at Dark Horse in an amazing format for print.
0: Right. So for me, like, it's not like you're trapped. Yeah. That's nice.
1: Not all of it is like, I don't know. I mean, I, it doesn't, I didn't lose like a moment's sleep over that, you know, like in the way of, I, I like, you know, I'm on all the creators I'm working with are similar about it. Like, they're, we're all like making great, rates doing the things we love and then we own the rights to the things and they come out in print so you know yeah and we love the way they come out there like up until this moment when it seems like there's challenges in the reading experience in that way too so right right i i i still super proud of the whole thing and excited to be a part i just you know i really hope that um they're able to fix the issues and restore people's faith in in you know the digital reading experience
0: there yeah yeah, no, I do expect with some time that they'll that make some progress. Um, so I did want to ask you just kind of uh, thematically through a lot of your work. So you, you're working on um, a, a number of projects, but there's definitely like a trend of the good versus evil, right? Just the ancient struggle, right? Of just like the biggest possible story, good versus evil, right? And this was super apparent in your Justice League run, right? Doom, um, you know, the the emergence of Doom and just kind of this like just the darkness, of the world. And I have heard you talk in interviews and it's something certainly I connect with just in terms of like, yeah, I'm a parent now. And I'm worried about the future for my kids and sort of the the darkness of the world, the anxieties of of bringing kids into like what this world is. And in particular, there's so much about faith and faith in humanity, which I find really interesting. Do you find that uh, channeling that into story helps restore faith? for you in whatever capacity that means um, or like, like how effective is that for you in terms of channeling those particular anxieties with, with personal faith, It could be spiritual faith or just with like just faith in humanity. It really, it
1: is really potent for me to do that. I mean, because writing through, you have to really inhabit the characters and I, I feel as though you can see the arc in my storytelling from Batman, which was as dark and horror driven as Batman is, is more hopeful. To a period, you know, in the last five years, that's been darker. Where I think, um, from uh, from um, Justice League through uh, Death Metal and Noctera and the Batman who laughs, those books all deal in different ways with the idea that our nature is worse than it seems like we thought, and somebody kind of finds that and points to it and says, we're meant to give up on the whole fallacy of goodness in one way or another. And there are different variations on that theme. And I think as a parent now with what I'm trying to do in this moment, which is different than the last, I think, five years in particular, where it felt a lot of the times, like our worst instincts were being encouraged, you know, loudest voices around is that I'm trying to kind of find a way of communicating to my kids that I have faith in them to do better than us mm. and to find a way forward that they can be hopeful about and that we're here to support them in that way. And yes, human nature is darker than I thought it was in a lot of ways. Even now, I think, you know, that we're not as far past some of the ugliness of the past that I thought we we were in some ways, Yeah, but that, you know, there's a fortitude and a determination to do that is hope itself. Like, you know, you have to, you have to believe that it's not, it's not a diagonal line, that it's something that you is a force of will all the time, you know, and uncomfortable. So that to me, that's like the theme of a lot of the things I'm working on now in different ways, whether they're pessimistic or optimistic, it sort of shifts away from the revelation of the darkness of human nature and the kind of manipulation of that to finding a way through, you know, and finding a way finding a way to be hopeful at a moment when there's so many big systemic problems facing us yep. and, you know, ugliness all around. So that, so that's, I write from that place, you know? So I think it's easy if you look at my stuff to find themes. And, and for me, these are my favorite kind of writers is when I can read Jason stuff, Jason Aaron or um, Jeff Lemire's stuff or Tom King stuff. And, Or, you know, um, Marjorie Lou's stuff, or, and you can find themes across the work in different ways. Kelly Thompson does this too, where it's like, I'm reading across and I can see in these years they were concerned with this. And Mm. no matter what medium it is, whether it's like superheroes, indie, they're thinking about things that matter to them. And those things are apparent in different ways in their work because they're not just writing. Like that's another thing that I'd say about like your question earlier about you just do high concepts sort of pitch process to get these books going. You can see like demons, clear night of the ghoul. They're all about things that sort of circle the same fears in ways that are personal to me as a parent. Yeah. So no, you know, they're, they're built that way. And yeah, that's, that's, it is like, you're, you're right. Like it is a, it is a moment when I'm, I'm, I'm ver- trying to write, with a about faith in a different way than I used to.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think you can tell that definitely as, as someone familiar with your work, is there one of the books coming? uh One of the, the series that you're, that have yet to release that for you feels the most different. Like what's the one that you think people are going to be the most surprised by in terms of it, it's maybe the most different from the rest of your catalog. Barnstormers is yeah. the most,
1: different.
0: it's like, it's not, um, it's a
1: romance, but it's twist. It has a tw- like a, it's a little twisted, it's dark. So it's because it's about, again, it's like about this, it's about a moment in time. I've always loved to write about before I got into comics. It's the 19 teens into the twenties that yep. exists right after the pandemic, the influenza influenza pandemic and right after world war one. And is this odd period of quiet and rich people celebrating and working people worried about what's coming right afterwards. And then the, you know, the depression hits and the world will like, it's an odd period of quiet, like uh, anxiety and total hedonism. And I, I see parallels between that and now yeah, um, this moment. And so um, that book, it's really, again, it's something I've been thinking about a long time and, and it's personal. But it also there's no supernatural elements and there's no monsters and there's no horror. It's about a guy who is a barnstormer um, and is claiming to be a war a guy from World War World World War One pilot, even though his, his past is questionable. And he crashes into a party he thinks is for him, and it's a wedding. And the bride at the wedding the next morning shows up at his plane with a gun and is like, "You're taking me with you wherever you go." And that's the beginning of the book. Okay, so. I, it's like a different kind of book altogether. It's got a Bonnie and Clyde feel. It's a lot of fun. But um, yeah, it's the art is like, you know, Tula's art is out of control. It's yeah. like nothing you've seen for me. But all the books get, the it kind of goes like this. Like the first three books are kind of books that are definitely a little off the beaten path for me in the way that like Greg and I have never done a creator owned. It's a little bit more character. It's a little bit, you know, there's less horror and action in the first thing than I think you might. Like there's, it's sure. more, very character driven then the francis one i've never worked in sci-fi you know horror with francesco doing classic horror is new for us in that way and the whole structure is a little experimental with it goes back and forth between the fragments of a black and white movie in the present
0: and i won't spoil yeah. anything but i i love the stylistic effect that the francesco is using on the this, the last page of every issue is like an old movie frame right yeah it's like it's like it's cutting out and that the, the... The edges are frayed. It's oh, it's so cool. I love it.
1: These last ones are my favorite. So, what do you see? They're they're it, the way it ends is like it's one of my favorite endings I've ever written. So, the nice. um, and he's killing it. Um, the second wave is a little bit more kind of going out like this. So, like, there's the Western, there's which is Canary with Dan Panosian, which has horror elements. Um, but it's it's a Western, like, and I've never done anything with Dan who I love and is a friend. You know, Lisa, like I said, is historical fiction and Dudley Dotson is YA. I mean, it's it's like it's you could read it. It's in a, one of those things that like you could give your 12 year olds, but it also, you know, your 10 year olds, but it also sure. worked like Witch Boy and some of the books that I really liked reading with my like, class act and new kid and a lot of the stuff I read with my 10 year old a few yeah. years ago. And then so those books kind of go like that. You know, they're trying more like more openly new things for me. And then the last two books, Book of Evil and Duck and Cover are like big, heavy hitting coming back to, you know, like Jock and me doing a world. It's a world where everybody, 99% of the population are born psychopaths starting like tomorrow and it takes place 25 years after that. Okay. Books, that books. I've been talking about it with Jock for years. And then that one, I'm like, it's more, no more perfect time to do it than now.
0: It would be surprising then, if that was the YA book the book, right? (laughs)
1: It's it's, it's written like it's written by the kid, but by a kid who's about to turn the age where you go one way or another, you you, as a psychopath when you, when you hit adolescence. So it's like a stand by me story about these kids that run away to try and find a place where they won't become these people. Mm. But it's scary. It's very, it's a very dark book. And then duck and cover is like me and Raphael doing Americana Craziness where in 1955 there's a nuclear exchange between America and Russia, and everything's pretty obliterated except for kids that hide under their desks, like in those old. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So it's about these kids that crawl out from their perfectly preserved desks in this like nuclear <laughs> obliterated film. Like, what the what? Yeah. And so it's like um, almost like manga influence where it's like tribes of kids, like Lord of the Flies in sure, 1955.
0: Yeah. 1950s. Some, some Akira kind of vibes, together. you know, with the, the kids yep, running yep, the wastelands. Yeah.
1: Yeah, except it's like also they got rockabilly stuff and like, you know, the old cars and all that. Sure. Shit. Buddy Holly style, Elvis style. It's super fun. So that one is like, you know, so it's almost like the first one's kind of spread out, the next one's Golf, and then the, the kind of comes back to be like, not exactly things that we've done before at all, but things that you're like, oh, this is, this is like coming home. Sure. Scott, and Doc, Scott, and Rafa. So. That's the whole plan.
0: It sounds fun. It sounds fun. No, I'm I'm excited for it and excited to check it out. And again, I, l- I love strategically kind of where you're going. So, all right. So I got to ask you a little bit about Batman. Um. So, so for readers of a certain generation, like you, like are the Batman storytellers, right? Like you, Greg, Danny Mickey, the team. You got a Batman movie coming out, right? Uh, people are excited about that. If you could see one thing from your time on Batman brought to the big screen, what would you what would you want it to be?
1: Oh, man. Huh. That's hard. I mean, I guess the thing that I... I don't know if it's more abstract. I mean, the thing that I would hope is brought, we wanted to turn Batman from kind of a figure that, you know, historically, I grew up in a time when it worked really well to be this way, but he was darker and more gothic and more of tortured. And there was more of a kind of obsession quality to what he did. And it was, and me growing up, like my kids, they have different fears. Like, I think their fears are more based on big scary things like, you know, school shootings and superstorms and like terrorism and like that. They're growing up in a post-9 eleven world. Mm-hmm. And so it was important for me to to make Batman something that was mine but also theirs. And so I like the idea of Batman not being dark, vengeful, you know, uh, super tortured. Um, I do think that he's pathological. I think there's an interesting pathos there, but the pathos is the pathos of somebody who like is willing to sacrifice everything of their own life and personal to make sure that they're a symbol, they're a symbol of inspiration, like for other people. Um, and even though he doesn't think of himself that way, he just thinks of himself as going out there to stop what happened to him happening from to other kids he winds up being a symbol of bravery. Like, so the basic way I used to say it is like, instead of scaring bad people into the shadows, he's about inspiring good people to come out into the light. And he mm-hmm. says, if I can fight these bizarre, huge manifestations of your fears, like the Riddler in zero year is, you know, terrorism and the red hood gang in that story is random violence and Joker and Endgame, Like they're all, they're all kind of my fears about what my kids face. Yeah. Then you can come out and face your fears on whatever scale you know you need to and as we all need to come together and, and sort of follow the bat signal out into the into the night to to face this stuff yeah so it's sort of a, a shift like that I really love that what I really hope is that they'll as elements themselves I mean zero year is probably my favorite thing we did yeah I love that story it was that was the first time I really felt like we we're creating our own Batman from the ground up and it's, a, it's about all the, it's like that one. Oh,
0: even, even more than quarter vowels.
1: Yeah. It's I, I mean, it's more, I like it. I think quarter, they're all children, so it's really hard, but like quarter sure, sure. vowels. I think the, the issue I have with quarter was just that like, I didn't, I didn't have any, I didn't have any time. First of all, like I was so terrified the whole time we were doing it. Yes. Yeah. Like, it was Batman. Number one. it was, new partner greg i'd never work with greg we didn't start getting along until issue five like Mm. you know even though like we that's behind but that's like by the time you were reading issue two we were getting along but it was like because we were making issue five yeah reading issue one issue two but um it was such a stressful experience that it's hard for me to have that be like my favorite because it was just like I deeply love that story. That's my second I'd say. Yeah. And then last night on earth and then Endgame, and yeah. And, and death of the family mm-hmm. end game were like one story to me. So that I call it end game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like that. I don't know. I mean, I love them all, but it's the <laughs> sure, yeah. element. I hope they do take if a physical element. I hope it's the court of owls like that. They take because they're as a creation, like there's, they're, they're they're the creation, the villain creation. That and Batman Who Laughs, that I'm like proudest of because mm. I love James Junior too, but and Bloom, but they, they to me, they to be able to add something that's humbling to Batman was a big honor. Like the goal with Bowels... The other thing I'll say is like the only reason I don't pick it as my favorite is because it's so deeply about the fears of of writing Batman <laughs> at that time, like. <laughs> And as I got more comfortable, I wrote about things that were maybe more expansive, you know? Okay. Yeah. But word of Owls is about like thinking you're ready for something and that you're you're prepared and that you're 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 confident and then not understanding the sort of the how small you are in the face of the thing you're facing. Mm. So him being humbled by the idea that Gotham is way bigger than he ever thought. Me coming into Batman being like, Oh my God this history. I was writing Dick Grayson under grant in a way that's like in a pocket. Now I'm writing Batman number one with Bruce Wayne, Mm -hmm. like the legacy and history of that. Like, Oh, I was confident feeling good at the end of black mirror. Now I'm like, Oh my God. Mm -hmm. and it, It coincided with a time in my life where I was, like we had just moved out of, we had moved out of the city and we're living out where we live now pretty much. And I would go back to visit my parents and everything around their apartment was changing. And it was just very strange to go to the areas that I grew up in as a kid and have them completely gone and, yeah. and have the city make you feel like it was alien to you. And that all of that came together really well in court of for me. It was like that perfect kind of moment where it just perfect storm of stuff. So um i love them i love them and yes i mean it's i go back and forth like it, some days i do think it's my favorite but then some days i i have to say zero year because i'm proudest i'm really proud of what we were able to do there is something that was ours and different and intensely personal
0: yeah yeah great riddler story too if people want to want to read it for those purposes as well all right final question do you have an ongoing bet with james tinian over who can write the most books at a single time
1: oh my god James and I, we talk. we have a, we used to have like a every other day call. And now we have like a twice a week call. Yeah. This is friends. I mean, he's like, he and Greg are like, you know, they're my best friends. And I talk to them all the time. And I'm really good friends with a lot of people I'm working with now, like Tony and Francis and Francesco, but Jock, obviously, and and Rafa, but they, um, you know, James is like my little brother, you know, he was my student when he was an undergrad Mm -hmm. and I was an adjunct teacher. And I was like in my early 20s, you know, so I've known him almost, you know, I've known him 15 years at this point plus. And um, so to see him ex- just be the king of comics right now in terms of putting out amazing content, trying new things. And yeah. I'm so proud of him. But both of us, like we literally call each other to be like, are you OK? <laughs> are you OK? Are mm-hmm. you OK? I think I, like, I'd be fine if it wasn't for the show running thing that really slammed me because it's working on L.A. time from. 9 a.m. their time till, like, 3 o'clock their time. So I'm I'm on a Zoom from noon till 6, like, yeah. every day pretty yeah. much on top of the comic work, which was enough. So I'm, like, the, the, it all ends for me next month, like, in terms of we finish the room and um, I'm ahead on my comic stuff. And if I can survive through the end of March, then um, I get a break and everything really kind of goes back to normal. James is similar where he's like, he's in the bottleneck of stuff right now. So we commiserate constantly. Yeah. But I love James. I cannot say enough good things about his work, his Substack, him as a human being. Like, you know, he, he, some creators like that are, you know, he's family. Like, I'd choose our friendship over a creative partnership any day. Like, same with Greg, same with Jock, same with Rafa, you know, those guys too. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're family.
0: Awesome. Awesome. All right, good. So light at the end of the tunnel, we'll be looking for, for all these updates and and the witch's progress and all that fun stuff here in the coming months. Um, for everybody listening, you know, I'm going to have links in the show notes to, to the work that we talked about today. Um, Scott, is there there a final place? Where do, you, where do you want people to go to, to check out, you know, everything we've been talking about?
1: Yeah. I mean, like I'm on Twitter. I mean, I'm still on my, my, I have an assistant now who's an awesome, an awesome guy, Tyler, who people are starting to get to know who, who basically runs Twitter for me. Um, but Um, I really if you want to if you really want to see in-depth stuff what we're doing go over to best jacket on Substack. you know it's best jacket with two t's and sign up for our free newsletter and you'll get that and if you want to sign up for seven bucks a month you get our class I teach a once a month comic writing class called comic writing 101 that I have a blast in yeah you get one of your comics signed by me and then there are all kinds of you can do a founder uh, you can't do it anymore we've filled it up but there's so you can do a paid, paid one or a free one, but the free one you get every, you'll find out everything coming and it lets me talk a little more than the Twitter and IG and Facebook. So right. I'd say there.
0: Cool. Cool. All right. Good deal. Scott, this is a pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, this morning to chat and, and again, we'll include links here in the show notes for people to check out the work. Uh, I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com at comicbookherald on pretty much anywhere on social. And of course, uh, like and subscribe and and share with the podcast and the conversation here for, for more creator interviews like these. So thanks so much, Scott. Thanks, man. It was a pleasure.